Well, this morning, we're going to continue in our series on what is the church according to Scripture. But here's the curveball. We're not going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, but really continuing this same series. But I want to highlight Father's Day because it is Father's Day. Now, listen, I know Father's Day is, is not a day of the church It's not on the calendar because of the church. Matter of fact, it's on the calendar for what are some pretty commercialized reasons, as you know. But I want to emphasize fathers and the family because those are things that the scriptures prioritize. Those are things that really do matter to the church and that should matter to Christians. So this morning, fathers in the gospel, and our passage is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Maybe very familiar to you, but listen with new ears. Listen to what God might tell us this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray that God would help us to understand and apply His Word. Lord, would you do that this morning uh, for the good of the whole church family? Some are fathers, some are not yet fathers, some have no concept of fatherhood. But Lord, as a principle in your word, would you help us to understand and see the beauty as it relates to the family of God? Lord, would you give us the hope of the gospel for our families? And this morning, would you bring healing for our families, especially for fathers who know that they have fallen short and need forgiveness. And we ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so a serious subject, but I trust a a truly applicable one. And the whole subject of, of Father's Day, listen, cynicism is in my heart and I know it's in yours too. We know, we understand that Father's Day is a commercialized event, just creating another opportunity to get you to buy something and spend some money. We understand that. We're not emphasizing Father's Day for any reason other than Scripture highlights the role and necessity of a faithful and godly father within the Christian family. And that's what we want to underscore, pray for, and work for. But the cynicism is all around us. Consider these words from a journalist. He says, Father's Day, the one day of the year when the mainstream media and much of the public pretend to actually value fatherhood and the role of a father in the modern family. For the remaining 364 days, The role of fathers in the family is discounted, downplayed, taken for granted, 
or seen as optional. Fathers are attacked by a court system that sometimes unfairly and disproportionately refuses them custody of their children. Fathers are attacked by the media that all too often and wildly out of proportion to reality portrays them as bumbling, villainous, or incompetent. And most cruelly, they're attacked by a society trying to render their contributions irrelevant in the lives of their own children. Does that resonate with you at all? Doesn't it feel like men and fatherhood are under attack, unappreciated, redefined, misinterpreted, and misunderstood? And that is a part of the world in which we live. But the scriptures paint a far different picture of what a father can be, of what a father should be. And that's what I want to encourage this morning, realizing that the room is filled with all kinds of dynamics. There are some who have been wounded by fathers. There are some who have been devastated by fathers. There are some who have never known their fathers because they were absent. And there have been some positive examples of fatherhood. So with all those dynamics in the room, can you imagine how badly this could go? It surely could. But let's trust the Lord that if we underscore what He has said in His Word that somehow he can encourage and uplift what we need to hear and what we need to know. So first, fathers. We live in a world and a culture of tension when it comes to fatherhood. Now let me give you a real-life example of this tension. Just in the news this past week, actually on social media, uh, a video popped up that I saw, maybe some of you saw this, a person I never had heard of, his name is Billy Kemper. He's a professional surfer. Some of you maybe saw this video. I saw it on social media. And it was posted because it was a picture, or it was a video of the young father, Billy Kemper, and his three-year-old son. Billy Kemper is a professional surfer, and he, the father of three-year-old Lion, Rose is his son's name. Now think about that for a minute. Lion Rose. Tough and tender. Lion Rose, three-year-old Lion Rose said, Dad, what I want for my birthday is to be able to barrel on a surfboard. Now, I don't know anything about surfing, but when you watch the video, you find out quickly what barreling is. And that is getting inside of one of those waves that is curling over you. So a three-year-old says, Dad, I've seen you barrel on a surfboard. I want a barrel. That's what I want. So the video posted on social media is this you know, 20-something-year-old dad with his three-year-old on a surfboard. And he puts the three-year-old up on his shoulders while he's surfing. And then he flips him around and drops him down. And he twists him this way and he does this and he does that. And then there's the video of them curled over, barreling in a wave. Now, on social media, what do you suspect the comments were? How dare this father put his three-year-old at risk for his own glory? The next comment, how awesome. I wish he was my dad. And that is the tension 
that fathers live in. One would accuse them of being dangerous and reckless and and trying to kill their child. The other would say, he's awesome. What an adventurous, loving dad. Look at how he cares for... You see the tension. And that's the world in which men live. There's cultural tension. There's spiritual tension. But let's not let men off the hook. We are the cause of most of our tension because of our own sinful hard-heartedness, knuckle-headedness, waywardness, rebellion, just being sinners, right? We do dumb things, and we create most of the trouble that we have to live in. So it's true, we live in a world of tension, but we are the cause, and our sin is the cause for much of the tension that we live in. Now here's a true story. It's Father's Day weekend. My family was at the beach for most of the week. I came back early so that I could prepare for today. And somehow when I was alone, I thought to myself, it's Father's Day weekend. You probably should go buy that tool slash toy that you've been thinking about. Because after all, it's Father's Day weekend. And so I went to Lowe's and and I did. I bought... I bought that handheld, battery-powered vacuum blower that I needed slash wanted. So I went home, and nobody's there. They're gone for another night. And Father thinks to himself, what could I do that would bless my family? I'm going to do some deep cleaning in the house with my new leaf blower. She'll never see it coming. She'll be so appreciative. This thing will get into the nooks and crannies like nothing else can. And so nobody's home, and I've charged my battery, and I'm I'm blowing out things that probably haven't seen daylight in quite a while. And then I'm vacuuming, right? I'm cleaning up behind myself. And then they come home the next day. And everybody's like, what? Everybody's like, achoo! (coughs) What have you done? (laughs) You man that we call father. And so it's true. I was told to never, ever do that again. So fathers are of the best intentions, but sometimes maybe we don't think things through. Deep cleaning creates deep mess that surface cleaning won't resolve. And so we create much of the tension, much of the stereotype, much of the the difficulty that that we live in. We're the authors of that, right? Go like this if you know what I'm talking about. I exposed myself, I expect you to expose yourself, right? We all do these kinds of things. Fathers live in a world of tension. We bring much of it on ourselves. The truth is we're sinners. And Scripture always begins with that point for every person to understand about themselves that they are a sinful, ruined mess. And the best of fathers are still sinners. They fall short of God's glory and God's goodness. But because we're sinners, fathers, because we're sinners, mothers, because we're sinners, children, fathers have to be very careful not to exasperate their children. 
That's what the Apostle Paul says. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. So what does that mean? What does it mean to exasperate? To exasperate is to anger, to provoke to anger, to enrage, to irritate, to frustrate. Those are all synonyms of what that word means. So fathers, because you and I, those of you who are fathers, because we're knuckle-headed, because we're hard-hearted, we have to be especially careful to not exasperate the little ones that God has given us to care for. Now, as practical as I can be, I'll say in my own language, I think all that means this. It means we correct, but we must not crush our children. We correct them. Oh, make no doubt about it. We are to be correctors. We are to say true things. We're to speak truth. But we've got to be careful not to crush our children. We have to be careful to not crush our children with a sense of rejection. Now, I realize I'm picking at what could be scabs of old wounds or maybe exposing issues that have not healed or maybe addressing fresh wounds. I mean, these could be hours old wounds, minutes old wounds. But fathers, we have to be careful to not crush with a sense of rejection. Things that would cause our children to feel rejected by us. Some time ago, I sat across a coffee table with a college tennis player. And she, she played at Erskine. She was very highly ranked. And she told me the story of what it was like to grow up under the pressure of playing tennis and competing for scholarships. And she said, Paul, I have so many memories of playing well in a tournament, playing well in a game, and looking up and seeing my parents and just seeing them beam with pride. She said, but I don't think about those very often. She says, I think about the times that I played poorly, and I would look up from the court to my parents And there would be times that their back was turned to the court. That they were unable to watch me play because they were so disgusted with what I did and how I didn't play well. Now, that's a young woman talking about wounds from years previous. But it stuck in my mind, how have I done similar things? with words or with actions that have sent a signal of rejection, a turn back of, I don't even want to see you play. Right? That's a real wound that people live through. Fathers are ruined sinners. Mothers are ruined sinners. The pain is real. We have to be careful that we don't destroy or crush our children with a sense of rejection or with a look of disgust. Many years ago, I had a child who was playing baseball, uh, coaches pitch baseball. And the coach of our team was a real man's man. 
Um, I don't think I've told you this story before, and I could be misunderstood here, so I want to be careful. But, but this man's man, he looked the part, he played the part of a tough, burly man. As a matter of fact, at every practice, he wore his T-shirt that said Marine across the front, and he wore his hat that indicated that he had served as a Marine. He was a man's man. He was a tough man. And he ran his practices that way, and he talked to his team that way. Well, one day after practice, uh, he and I were talking, and he started telling me a story about his teenage son. And he said, yeah, I had to teach my boy a lesson this week. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I always taught him when you cut our grass that you walk the property first and throw out the rocks and the sticks that could damage the mower. And I said, uh-oh, sounds like he didn't do that. He said, no, he didn't do that, and he busted up my mower. as an expensive mower. And I said, well, what did you do? And the Marine did this. He said, well, I went inside and I got my spade shovel. You know, the pointed tip, rounded shovel. And I came out and he said, I told my son, I want you to dig a square hole, an 18 inch by 18 inch by 18 inch hole. And I'm going to come back in an hour with a tape measure. And I, he told me this and my eyes were like this. I was like, what? You can't dig a square hole with a round shovel. Well, that's the truth. So he told me, he said, yeah, I gave him an hour. I came back out and bless his heart, he had tried, but I got my tape measure down and it wasn't right because it couldn't be right. I said, well, what did you do? He said, I made him push mow the whole eight acres to teach him a lesson. And now he tells me this and he's beaming with pride like he had just crushed it as a dad. And I'm sitting there thinking more like the 15-year-old, 17-year-old kid, whatever he was, feeling crushed by dad. Because dad had this impossible standard that he knew that his son couldn't meet, but he was going to teach him a lifelong lesson. Now listen, there are hard lessons to learn. There are hard lessons to teach. There are hard things for kids to have to do. You're going to see in a minute that discipline and training are real things. But dads, we've got to be careful that we're not crushing our kids, which would push them to exasperation, to a life of anger towards you, a life of anger towards people, and most importantly, a life of anger towards the heavenly Father that you're imaging for them. We can do that. We can push our kids away from the faith while patting ourselves on the back, thinking we've crushed it as fathers, when we've actually crushed our children. We have to be careful to not crush them with expectations of perfection. Our expectations of perfection that end up exposing us. That tennis player I told you about, she went on to tell me that some of her worst memories were, were when she played poorly in that tournament and they would have driven hours in the car to get to the tournament. And now having played poorly, she had to get back in that car 
And she said, we would drive for hours and my parents wouldn't even speak to me. They gave her the silent treatment because she had not met their standard of excellence. We can do things that crush our children. And more times than not, it's really our pursuit of perfection through them, trying to make ourselves feel better. Here, I'll tell you a true story. Just a few years ago, we had children that were playing soccer. And I had that embarrassing dad moment, being vulnerable here again. We're in the middle or towards the end of a very competitive game. And we like to win. We maybe make too much of a priority of that sometimes. And in the middle of a climactic moment of the game, one of my unnamed children, their cleat becomes untied in the middle of the game. And so finally the referee sees it, and it's at that moment I feel the horror of a father who has never taught his son how to tie his cleats for himself. And we're sitting there and all the eyes are on your child and you realize I've got to get up and walk out there in front of everyone. Everyone's going to know that I haven't taught the child how to tie their cleats properly. And I'm dying a thousand deaths and people are kind of looking like, are you going to go do something? And thank the Lord for Marie, who quickly got up and ran out and tied the cleats for me, sparing me that embarrassing moment. But what was so embarrassing? My own view of myself. And if you examine any of your parenting issues, not just parenting, but any of your perfection issues, I think you'll find the same thing as what I just admitted is what's fueling you. What will people think? Will they think I'm not perfect? Will they know that I'm not perfect? And that can be what's driving our poorest parenting. Our worst fatherhood is driven by wanting to prove ourselves through our own children. So consider your own heart. If I've done it, chances are you've done it. And you've done it in your own way. But we've got to be careful to not crush our children. Instead, what if we did this in the way of application? What if we viewed our sons and our daughters through eyes that saw us teaching ourselves when we were that age? What if we talked to them as if we were talking to our own 12-year-old selves and all the knuckle-headed things we did, talking to our own 15-year-old selves and all the knuckle-headed things that we did, and so on. What if when we were doing dad things, we had a patience that saw ourselves in them, a patience that could create a tenderness, a long-suffering spirit. When doing dad things, dad things that make dad, dad. Dad things like this, like how to run the mower and to always walk the field and look for rocks and sticks first, how to cut the grass, how to drive a car, how to change the oil and to change a tire. By the way, it was 1130 last night and we'd gone to bed 
and I turned my phone off, silly me. Um, Marie didn't, so she ended up getting a call after I didn't answer it. But our 22-year-old son, who's 24 hours away by car, he's in Colorado Springs, he calls us because he has a flat tire at 11.30 Eastern Time, at night. And of course, I'm thinking, did I teach him how to change the tire? Surely I taught him how to change the tire. What can I do 24 hours away? I can watch it on video. That's about all that I can do, right? But you will find yourselves, did I not say this? Did I not teach this? Did I not do this? We do dad things when we teach our sons, our daughters, how to work out at the gym, how to balance a checkbook, how to build a campfire and to cook a hamburger, to watch a game and to know what's actually happening in the game, to pitch a tent under the stars, how to throw a ball, to catch a ball, to kick a ball, how to read the Bible, how to pray, how to listen to other people and to show kindness and respect, maybe even to those who don't seem to deserve it. We do dad things when we teach them how to shake a hand firmly and to look the dude in the eye when you do. We teach them how to show up consistently and faithfully to church, to small group, to Bible study, to family time, or anywhere else that has their spiritual best interest in mind. We do dad things when we're patient, and we model how to sing out loud in worship, how to not stand around with your hands in your pocket when needed to step up and actually do something. We do dad things when we model what it is to tithe our money and to do so without grumbling or complaint. When we speak to and warmly welcome people that you don't think have much in common with yourself. And we do dad things when we show them how to repent of sin, how to apologize and ask for forgiveness of anyone, high or low, when you're in the wrong. And we do dad things when we teach them and model for them to pay your debts and your dues on time. What if we did all these things with patience and with a long-suffering spirit instead of with that sense of, didn't I already tell you how to do this? Didn't I show you this once before? You see, those are all simple things that dads do, but every single one of them, every single one of them can crush the spirit of a child. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, be careful, be careful. You can exasperate your sons, your daughters, your children. You can exasperate them very easily, very quickly in a sinful world. And so do what you do with great caution. And instead of exasperating them, thirdly and lastly... We're to bring them up. We're to rear them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's what verse 4 says. That's the key verse of what I want to emphasize this morning. We are to discipline. We're to teach 
our sons and our daughters. We're to instruct them. And all that is to say, fathers, you need to be a vocal presence in your children's lives. You need to not be the one who's always deferring to mom or deferring to another. You need to have a vocal presence. You need to be there. You need to speak up. Your voice is one that needs to be heard in the back of their mind when crisis comes for them, when uncertainty comes, when a decision has to be made because you've played a vocal presence preparing them for the moment, playing the part of a father with discipline and instruction into their lives. To put it plainly, you need to be a vocal presence even when you feel that you've been pushed out. When you feel that the world has told you to be quiet, to not speak there, or even if a person should make you feel as though you've been pushed out, you'll never regain these days or these moments again. And so with wisdom and with gentleness, we don't want to exasperate our children, we don't want to crush our children, but we are to be the voice and the presence of God who is ministering daily into their lives and into their needs. Quite simply, we could say it's this. In RUF, we have this, this uh, philosophy of ministry that has fueled my mind as a minister and, and as a parent. And RUF puts it in this language. It's called T-D-O-E-E. T-D-O-E-E. That's what we want to do in the lives of other people. And so a word for you fathers in terms of T-D-O-E-E. These are the things that we want to characterize our influence into the lives of our sons and daughters. And that is to teach, to demonstrate, to observe, to evaluate, and to encourage. Those are all the things you want to be trying to constantly do in the lives of your sons and your daughters. And hey, the the teach part is pretty clear cut. You're to be the voice saying true things. But out of all these, what I want to emphasize in the way of application is the D. It's the power of D. And that is demonstrating for your sons and daughters through a life faithfully lived, lived with wisdom, demonstrating for them what it is to be a Christian who repents of sin and is knuckle-headed and hard-hearted as we are, who's trying to be faithful to the glory of God in big things and in small things. The power of D, living the Christian life as a witness, an imperfect witness, an imperfect voice, an imperfect authority, but the one that God has put in the life of that son or that daughter. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't be so easily defeated. Don't let the world convince you that you just need to be quiet and your presence is optional. People don't really want you there anyway. Don't listen to the lies that the world is telling you. Dad, you need to be present and you need to be vocal. You are the presence that the Lord has given that son and that daughter in the way of a father. And you need to make the most of it. You need to do what you can. You need to do it in the midst of cultural tension. You need to pursue biblical truth as you do it. 
And I'll close with this. All of it we do with gospel hope. That God really is at work in the lives of families and through families. And He's doing it through knuckle-headed men, hard-hearted, sin-ruined men that He can do profound things through. Because He always has. He always has. Herman Bavinck, who was a Dutch Reformed theologian, the late 1800s, early 1900s, I pulled this quote. It's been translated by Rob Rayburn, who I've quoted before you many times. It is a long quote, but remember my rule? If I give you a long quote, it's a good quote. Capture what he's saying here, the hope that we have for families. As imperfect as your family is and as mine is, as imperfect as you are as a father, listen to the hope of how God works collectively through the family. It doesn't take a village. It takes a network of faithful Christian family members. He says this, The family is not of man's making. It is a gift of God and it is full of life. Upbringing within a family has a special character. No school or educational institution can replace or compensate for the family. Everything educates in the family. The firm handshake of the father, the soft voice of the mother, the older brother, the younger sister, the baby in the cradle, the sick loved ones, the grandparents and grandchildren, the uncles and aunts, the guests and the friends, times of prosperity, times of adversity, the day of feasting and the day of mourning, weekdays and weekends, Sundays and workdays, the prayer of thanksgiving at the table, the reading of God's Word, the time of morning and evening prayer. Everything serves to educate, to demonstrate one another. Day after day, hour after hour, unintentionally, without our devised plan, method, or system, a thousand insignificant things, a thousand trifles, a thousand details, all have God's effect. The family is God's school of life. And so, fathers, we're thankful that despite our sin-ruined natures, God can overcome all the foolishness that we've done, our hard-heartedness, our recklessness, our being absent, our being silent. He can overcome that. He can use whole families. We know how much He uses mom, how much He uses our wives, to overcome our shortcomings. But He uses grandparents. He uses siblings. He uses friends. He uses the rhythm of your whole week, which we tend to think can be insignificant. He uses it all for the good of His people. And so this morning as we close, I want fathers in your own still and quiet heart to be willing to admit and to confess to the Lord And I have been knuckle-headed. I have been selfish. 
I have fallen so far short. I have not taught or instructed or disciplined my children as I should. I've been quiet when I should have spoken. Or maybe I've been harsh and loud when I have spoken. Maybe I've been in my own way making my son or daughter dig a square hole with a round shovel. But whatever it is that you need to confess to the Lord in your shortcoming as a father in a world that despises you, there is a grace that is greater than your sin. There's a grace that is greater than your heart. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, we're told, If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. And He knows everything. So all of your shortcomings condemn you, Dad. But God is greater than your own heart. No need to condemn yourself when He has said in Him you can be forgiven. You can be a new dad. You can be a new father with a new heart and with a new hope. Let's pray that that might be true and then let's sing. Lord, I do pray for every father in here who knows they've fallen far short. For every father who feels overwhelmed and outnumbered by children. For every father who maybe now has an empty nest and can wallow in sadness for things undone, for time unspent. And Lord, I pray for hopeful dads those who are not yet fathers, but who would wish to be. Lord, would you work in all of us, not just a sense of the guilt of our shortcoming, but Lord, the grace of forgiveness, that you truly are greater than our hearts. And so, Lord, we give you thanks for the truth of the gospel. We pray for the church family and for all of our families, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.